Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined. I'm your host, Arya Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is Dave Karp. Dave, could you please introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, Dave Karp, I'm a, an associate professor in the School of Media and Public Affairs at George Washington University. Uh, I study internet politics, uh, which for the first probably eight years of my career meant studying groups like moveon.org uh, and how political advocacy was changing in the digital era. And then for the past four years, I have mostly been studying broader internet culture and finding ways to make fun of people like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, which keeps me cold. <laughs> okay, so that will be our topic today. So we're recording this on the afternoon of November 4th, 2022, and events are unfolding so quickly that um, it's possible that things may happen while we're uh, having this conversation or shortly there afterwards, uh, but we'll try to capture the moment so elon musk yeah, can i can i just point out there i like i'm a political scientist it is the friday before election day and the thing <laughs> that I, like really i want to be talking about and i'm spending all my time talking about is elon musk like that's how much mind share he's taking up it's friday before election day and as a political great, great scientist, point yeah my god yeah the, the election is in you know like 96 hours or something and um <laughs> Maybe, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty involving the election and maybe less uncertainty about what's happening with Twitter right now because, okay, so when it was first announced that Musk was putting in a bid for Twitter, I remember thinking, okay, this will either be ultimately good because Twitter as a uh, website or software or app has a lot of problems. It doesn't really work very well. And maybe um, he'll actually like make some decisions and <laughs> hire people who will improve the service of this product that I use, even though it's not the most pleasant user experience, or maybe he'll um, unintentionally destroy the company, run it into the ground. And that would be good for me personally, because I would break my Twitter addiction and be good for the world because uh, I think Twitter has had a negative influence on America and the world. So I was sort of like, well, maybe, you know, there's sort of an upside <laughs> either way. Um, I had a conversation with Max Reed six or so months ago, who was making the case that actually um, Twitter as it existed when Elon put in his bid worked very well for one person, uh, Elon mm -hmm. Musk, because he could hype up his company and his stock price uh, for Tesla was going up, 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 and he gets a lot of attention and adoration from his super fans. So Max was making the case that actually probably not that much would change at all at, at, at Twitter because it works for Elon and, and he would be the boss. Um, so I guess... Things that have happened in the intervening time was Musk wanted to, you know, go back on the deal. And there was a lot of back and forth. And ultimately, I, I guess, you know, it went to this uh, chancery court in Delaware. But to avert a trial and maybe further embarrassment of like discovery, Musk just decided he would pay the original price of fifty-four twenty per share. And what else seemed to happen is that the tech bubble seems to have finally burst. Yeah. And so the underlying, you know, things have shifted in the world in our understanding of how much Musk actually wanted to do this thing. And now he's firmly in charge of the site. And it seems like a lot of chaotic things are happening at Twitter headquarters. Um, you've been watching this uh, spectacle unfold. You wrote a piece for your Substack, which we'll link to Elon's Twitter tilt. And your Substack is D-A-V-E-K-A-R-P-F.substack.com if people want to check out your writing in general. Okay, so I spoke a lot there. What, what, what are you thinking right now? Yeah, so so let's go back to April for a second because I, I remember writing about it as he announced the acquisition uh, plan. I remember he, he announced that he was going to try to buy Twitter and then he immediately went on the TED, uh, like the TED Talk stage uh, and got this like puffed up interview, which... Amongst other things, he made clear that he really likes Douglas Adams and has not read Douglas Adams very clearly. Um, <laughs> but so I wrote a piece then, and my expectation then was that he was probably going to ruin Twitter slowly. Um, and I say that as somebody who likes Twitter, who Twitter has generally been good to. Um, some of your listeners might remember 2019. Uh, I, I had like a week of Twitter fame back then because I made fun of Brett Stevens and he got mad at me and then everyone made fun of Brett Stevens. That was the Brett bug thing. Uh, that was me. Um, so like I, ha I have liked Twitter over the years. And the thing that I have liked about Twitter, I think, is that it has always been pretty bad at making money. Um, <laughs> right. So 
like elsewhere in in like my actual research, one of the themes that I've been working out studying the history of the digital future uh, is that big money ruins everything. And that's not to say that monetization is always bad, but the incentives that go into astronomically large money end up warping things and making them bad. So like, I think that YouTube in 2008 is better than YouTube today. As the money has gotten has gotten bigger, we've gotten these weird influencer cultures that are, I think, bad. Mm -hmm. um, and part of what I think has made Twitter better than other platforms, I mean, like, I'm not going to say that Twitter six months ago was great for everyone. Like, I'm a cis white dude. Like, of course, it's better for me. Um, but I think Twitter compared to other platforms has been pretty good. And I think that is related to Twitter always being more of an influential place than a place that makes a lot of money. Like, I think them being bad at monetization has been good for it. Like, it's good that, like, when I got kind of Twitter famous with Brett Stevens, that meant nothing. Like, I didn't get verified. I didn't, like, make money off of, like, there was no money that came to me. I, a couple a couple times in that, people were like, oh, people should buy Dave's book. And I was like, you're right. If you want to support me, buy my book. Something like 50,000 people liked that tweet of mine. And I think I sold, like, maybe 11 books. Mm -hmm. Like, Twitter is just not good for monetization. And I think that has actually made it a healthier place than a lot of the other nationalized and globalized social media. So my initial reaction was, yeah, this is probably going to be bad because if he comes in and makes it good at monetization, that'll actually ruin some of the things that we underappreciate right now. Um, but I, I didn't expect it would be anything like the chaos that we've gotten. And what's changed is the tech crash happens it, like it starts a couple weeks after he makes that offer. Uh, and what looked like a blip is now clearly a real decline in the tech sector for the first time since the dot-com crash. Um, there's actually, there's a really nice New York Times piece that came out like maybe a month before it all went down um, that was titled The Tech Bubble That Never Burst. And they've got great graphics in it showing how you know, year after year for 18 years, there were predictions from smart people in the tech sector saying like, yeah, like this is a bubble and it's about to come apart. And it just never does. Like 2008, it doesn't. Like the somehow in the pandemic, tech got bigger because it turned out that that's where all the money went because where else would it go? Mm -hmm. So at all times, the bubble has just kept expanding. And if you had said to me back in March, like, do you think the bubble will finally burst? I would have been like, haha, no. Like, I don't see how it can keep going, but I don't see why it would stop. And Elon got kind of unlucky that just after he decided to pay 54.20 per share, the value of Twitter, which was probably, I, mean, I don't know if it was $44 billion, which is what he paid, but it was probably in like, or like maybe 35 to 40 billion is probably what it was worth. And that sets up a, a theory for him of, hey, that's what it's worth. And everyone knows that this isn't a well-monetized, well-run institution. I can go in, I can spend a year or two flipping it for profit and that'll further burnish the, the legend of Elon Musk. Like, I don't think that would have worked, but I can see why he would have believed that. Mm -hmm. And like every single tech stock has since then lost between a third and two thirds of its value. So now he's got like a $15 billion company that he paid $44 billion for. Of course he tried to get out of the deal. And of course, Delaware Chancery Court was like, yeah, no contracts are real things. You don't get to do that. So then he okay, buys wh that thing. Why do you think... Why do you think he did not just bail and pay the $1 billion or whatever breakup fee? What do you think oh, it was a, his, his hubris and his self-conception? No, I like that. I, legally, he couldn't. So um, Matt Levine is a, a Bloomberg columnist who his newsletter is called Money Stuff. I've been reading it religiously ever since the Elon stuff. Um, the breakup fee was if like the banks bailed on him and he couldn't go through with it. But he couldn't just do a billion-dollar breakup fee because he decided he wanted to walk away. The lawsuit from Twitter was saying, you, you need a reason to walk away. You can't just walk away from a deal you signed, particularly because the company's worth less now. So the lawsuit wasn't for a billion dollars. The lawsuit was for the four, full $44 billion. Now, if we had talked, like, uh, what, in September, the thing that I was rooting for and that I thought would probably happen is that Delaware Chancery Court would say, yeah, you have to pay $44 billion for a company that you don't want and that doesn't want you. And like after that decision got made, he would then have to walk into a room with them and probably reach a settlement saying like, okay, instead of paying $44 billion to own the company that I don't want, we're going to agree that I'll pay you $20 billion to break the contract and I'll pay $20 billion to not own Twitter, which would have been awesome because like I pay $0 to not own Twitter. Like that would be hilarious. <laughs> right. Um, but okay. No, I, okay. I, I, this 
parts of this I barely understand. But um, I mean, before he did the like takeover bid or private equity equity move, he like assembled like 15% of the stock that he owned anyway. So like he still would have had that and, and like would have had a seat on the board, presumably, and could have thrown his weight around. And like, is the Delaware Chancery Court going to you, like the, they don't throw people in jail? I assume like it, something. Yeah, you know, lawyers would have worked it out. I mean, they can't throw people in jail, but they can say you have to pay them. Out. And if you don't, then we're gonna like, I, like I, I don't know if Tesla's a Delaware cor- corporation. It probably is because all companies are Delaware companies. Mm-hmm. But like, like a thing that I heard pointed out a lot by like business press, which is not what I usually read, but I'm like starting to read them religiously because I was really into following this court case. And I think they were kind of pointing out is like Elon Musk is very used to fighting with the SEC. And when the SEC says you have to do this, Elon Musk can be like, what are you going to fucking do? And then he just kind of gets away with it. like they just maybe he, they he pays a fine that, that for him yeah. is nominal. Yeah. And like the, like I saw a uh, there was a meme going on around for a while of uh, the image from Thor three where uh, the, the villain is like, you can't defeat me. And then Thor is like, I can't, but he can. And then, like, the monster shows up in the background. And so, like, <laughs> the meme was going around of, like, him saying that, and the SEC says, like, I can't, but he can, and it's, like, contract law. Because, like, uh-huh. you you just cannot met Like, you, it turns out you, like, can't mess with the Delaware Chancery Court the way you can mess with the SEC. And he spent a few months, like, trying to make that work, and when it became really clear that, like, you're, like you just, you have absolutely nothing here, they're going to force you to buy the company or, like, settle for a gigantic sum of money to not own the company mm-hmm. that at that point he was like well fine i'll just own the company so like he came out what like three weeks ago being like you know what guys actually why don't i buy the company just like i said i would okay and they were like, uh all right show us the money fine and still most tech journalists were like he's not gonna do it like he'll find a way out of it and then he didn't he bought right i mean I, if he really did want to get out of it i assume he could have like you know like the banks could have just not come through and you know, like this seems like a pretty risky bet so that could have happened even without elon saying soto voce like guys let's scuttle this fucking disaster so i guess well, like, i like this was like i was following this religiously again in october because like people like people clearly thought of that of that move and the answer is if the banks quietly say like oh never mind it's not a good deal anymore then twitter sues the banks and the banks lose and then they have to go through like like uh-huh. Banks the, have the more Delaware money than he, even though Elon Musk is, is the richest man on earth. Banks have well, more money than Elon Musk does, I think. Um, right. I like the, the bottom line is like Delaware is very like the only thing that Delaware is good for is like corporate law, and so Delaware's really really serious about like if you sign a contract saying you're going to do a merger, you don't get to like get excuses to get out of it. Like we're very serious about these contracts and like them never having wiggle room, even if you're Elon. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, like he and he tried everything and it was just kind of like, oh, shit, I guess this is real. And I guess I own Twitter now. And he now he's <laughs> like a petulant child who's very mad that he's down like 30 billion dollars because of this stupid purchase. Right. OK. And, and this is something I noted on that conversation I had with Max Reed um, mm-hmm. in the spring. Um, Tesla stock, uh, it's it's bottom over the past couple years was March 20th, 2020. And then it's gone up since then. So it became like a meme stock. Yep. you know like week two of lockdown and seemingly unconnected from profits although i guess it has done tesla has done better than it did the past previous years but but musk's position as richest person on earth is because of tesla stock becoming wildly <laughs> inflated from what market fundamentals would say it's actually worth um yep. and it has i guess it its peak was november 5th and now it's down about 50 percent from from that peak um so yeah okay so let's talk about now what's been happening over the past couple days which is musk uh has laid off about half of twitter's workforce Mm -hmm. um and it, it seems pretty chaotic there and he's he's tried to implement various new products to be built extremely quickly um and yeah, it's treating it. I saw someone describe it as like they're making the engineers work like, you know, this is a startup that's about to go out of business if they don't debut their product, you know, within 36 hours sort of thing. Um, so he's lighting a fire under people's asses in his sort of sociopathic way. And the company's leaking like crazy to the press. So we're finding out it's just like more than the Trump White House <laughs> um, yeah. leaked yeah. because, 
you know, there's way more people there. And I guess some people in the Trump White House like Trump a little bit. It doesn't seem like many people at Twitter like Musk very much. So, so everything is coming out as it's happening. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I, it, it seems possible that the site could just be knocked offline through not enough people being there to keep it going. Um, While having engineers, yeah, that could be a problem. I, I joke today that he spent $44 billion to bring back the fail whale. Yeah. Were you on Twitter in those early days when like it would just, it was constantly going offline and yeah, the, yeah. the this image yeah, of a whale would appear. Seven or oh eight. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it's always been a, <laughs> a website or app or whatever that didn't work particularly well. It definitely mm -hmm. has gotten more stable such that it doesn't go down as much as it did in 2011. But, um, yeah, so that seems like that could that sort of thing <laughs> could return, um, but yeah. So what is what are you thinking about Elon's uh, choices over the past week or so? So yeah, so I, I I just wrote a piece arguing that this is the same behavior as like a, a gambler at a poker table who loses some money and then kind of like loses their temper and starts playing in an undisciplined manner to try to win all their money back all at once. Um, like I, I, I've played a lot of po poker is my like big hobby and I've like played a lot of it over the decades and you see this happen where someone will be like a pretty good card player and then they get kind of unlucky and like, then they're not a good card player anymore. And that's, that is how he's acting where, you know, like it's, it's a private company now. And what part of what being a private company means is he doesn't need to make a bunch of fast moves to like impress wall street analysts or like the stock market that he's got a plan. Like. He owns the thing. He's down a bunch of money, but like the he's, he owes like a billion dollars in debt payment uh, in debt financing every year for Twitter now because of the thirteen billion that he borrowed from banks. But like that's not due tomorrow. Like, right? He doesn't need to turn it around overnight. Except he's pissed off that he spent all this money. <laughs> and what that's leading to, I mean, he's acting like I just spent forty four billion dollars on this place, and this is your problem. And like that's spooking advertisers. So now advertisers are saying. Yeah, we're we're gonna hit pause on advertising on Twitter because we don't trust that this place isn't gonna fall to shit, and we're gonna end up having our like Nike ads running next to a Nazi. Like we we don't want that. So mm -hmm. hey, convince us. He's not doing himself any favors with the like the conspiracy theory he tweeted about Paul Pelosi over the weekend either. Yeah. Um, but what really stands out is, is his verification plans. So they've had this product for a while called Twitter Blue, which is five dollars a month for a bunch of features including the ability to edit your tweets for like 15 minutes after you post. Um, and like, I, I don't have Twitter blue, but I've thought about it a lot because I tweet a lot. And like uh, when I notice that I have a typo, it, it interferes with my psyche. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Like I, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm a writer and like, I'll see that and I'll be like, Oh, how do I, mm. and then I'll like tweet after it. Being like, obviously I meant, the not and then people yeah. have, have, like dave we know chill out i'm like i can't chill out my brain yeah um, that, but they they said uh, that 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 was going to be rolled rolled out across the entire platform but like twitter blue is getting early access to it as sort of a perk but also like a testing sort yeah. of thing and i think some, maybe even some non-twitter blue people were just having it show up they were actually in the, the past like ever since this the initial move they've mm -hmm been definitely doing a lot more like testing of features that come in and out somewhat mysteriously or like the aspect ratio on tweets will change or the font change or something. I assume it's because they had a very like the, the culture when, you know, the previous people were, were in charge was very like plotting and they weren't trying to do things often. So it seems like that changed a little bit, but anyway, yes. So Twitter blue had right. some bonus sorts of things that you can yeah, get so access to for $5 a month. Right. So it's $5 a month for a bunch of bonus features if you're really into Twitter. And like effectively, the way they're trying to now rephrase it is, hey, we're rolling verification into that and it's going to be $8 a month. Like if you like Twitter, like what a deal. And like, honestly, like I, I teach political communication, like I teach strategic political communication. It is very, very easy to design a communications plan to make that sound appealing to Twitter's user base. Like, Hey, we're adding a bunch of cool features. The price is going to go up from five bucks to a month to eight bucks to a month. And also we're going to add a pathway for verification for those of you who aren't verified. And what he did instead was just tweet through it. So like the way this came out is it leaked that they were considering uh, 
getting rid of the verified system. So like celebrities, journalists, public officials won't be verified anymore, like any of them. So they're going to be vulnerable to impersonation, which they won't like. Um, and he says, if you want that, you're going to need to get it through Twitter Blue. At first, they leak that it's going to be $5 a month. Then they leak that it's going to be $20 a month in order for verified people to stay verified. Then he starts like yelling at people about it and posting dumb memes. <laughs> Then and, he, and he got uh, into it with Stephen King also. Yeah, yeah. Stephen King was like, I'm 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 gone like Enron if you do this. And he replied, <laughs> being like, But we need the money. How about eight dollars a month? Um, which like, you know, like this is not like you don't need to be a communications professional to realize like maybe this isn't the way you want to roll this out. Um, Nate Silver had a good comment when uh, Nate pointed out, like, look, I'm I'm probably the target audience of this. I enjoy Twitter, I use it a lot, I have the money, but my reaction is like. You know, like fuck you i'm out of here I've, like I've, I've produced enough content for you guys over the year that like screw you um and like he's got uh david Sachs as one of his henchmen and david Sachs, i think is an idiot but like david Sachs, who's like a right-wing troll with a billion dollars keeps saying like oh this is about like the elites with their blue checks don't like they're not upset that they're gonna lose their that they have to pay eight dollars they're upset that you can get it for eight dollars and it's like first of all no that's not true you're an idiot second of all this is the worst way to introduce your program because now what you're saying is like the status quo was bad and elitist and this will radically change everything. Come with us in a revolution. Like, of course, that's going to piss off your power users who thought the status quo was at least okay enough for them to be around. Of course, that's going to do advertisers saying, I'm sorry, what the fuck is this thing? And then on top of that, like you're firing half of your staff, raising huge questions about how is content moderation going to work if you don't have anyone left to moderate the content. So like, this is what happens when you just do all this stuff way too fast. If he had taken a month and like had an actual team that said, what's the program going to be? What's the price point? What are all the features? How does this fit into our plan to get rid of bots and like, like scammers and spammers mm -hmm. and then presented that as like, here's the future of Twitter in December. Like he can probably make it sound good, but instead he's like, vibrating with anger that he spent so much money for a site he didn't want and so they're just like they're, it's like they're brainstorming random ideas and before anyone points out that's dumb it's already been announced and they're already defending it like I, I saw it was uh posted yesterday another one of their ideas is that if you pay money you'll be able to dm celebrities yes well someone pointed out like right so how are female celebrities going to feel about that people are paying two dollars to Twitter to send them dick pics. Probably how is it? How would any celebrity feel about someone paying a couple bucks to send them a message? I, I you know, if I were a celebrity, I would, you know, I would be charging <laughs> much more than a couple bucks to yeah. have my assistant read an email. Um, it, yeah, that's a stupid idea. And apparently, Facebook had some version of it that an old Katie Natopoulos tweet about it resurfaced. Oh, yeah. Facebook like, had some idea about, that they would do this. Thought about it, but then they didn't do it. Twenty fourteen. No, it's a stupid idea. Yeah. Um. And like, it's fine to have bad ideas and brainstorming, but if in your first week in the company, you're firing everyone, having bad ideas, and then defending them as though everyone else is the idiot, then like, you, you're you just being really bad at your job and you should maybe like talk, take a walk, like chill out. Maybe you try to one of you run well, one of the other companies. Yeah. For you know, he's, he's been holding a sink this entire time. So he's obviously yeah, he's extremely he's really tired. He, yeah. He's, he's ready to put that sink down. Um, it's so, I mean. Everything like Twitter is okay, in my opinion. Like, Twitter has brought me some good things personally. Um, a, a lot of the people who I have guests on my podcast, I connect with through Twitter. I've made um, some uh, actual friendships through Twitter, and it's you know, there's, there's been a lot of funny, weird, wacky stuff that has been exposed. You know, I've read. Or, or witnessed on Twitter, and that's all good. But looking at it objectively, like there have been more bad things that Twitter has um, caused in my life than um, than positive things. And you know, it, I've, the metaphor I've used is, you know, the alcoholic has had plenty of great times down at the bar, but if the bar like was bulldozed, it would be good for the alcoholic. Also, um, so that's how I my you know, my relationship with the site and, you know, it, a lot, lots of people have lots of different relationships mm -hmm. with it. Um, but okay. So one of the strange things about Twitter for so long was it seemed like the people who ran the place had no idea how the app was actually used or the site was actually used. And they used to say things like Twitter is where the great discussions happen. And that like, that's not true. Twitter is where like the stupidest discussions <laughs> on planet earth happen and mm -hmm. where you, 
you write something and it gets like willful, willfully or unwillfully misinterpreted by strangers who make your life miserable for uh, you know a short period of time because you posted something about like enjoying having coffee with your husband uh, in the garden every morning. Like just a lot of stupid shit happens on the site and the site, the way it's designed probably accidentally because it, it was the whole site was sort of an accident the way it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just promotes stupidity, extremism, emotionalism, tribalism, us versus them in any category. Um, yeah, I think it's mostly, even if you take Trump out of the picture, I tweeted this earlier, mm-hmm. you know, if Trump had never been born, assessing like the utilitarian calculus on whether Twitter was good for the world or not, it would be like a close call at Trump. And <laughs> it's definitely, definitely bad. Um, do you, well, I, I want to, what, what do you think about that this? a little bit? So the, I, I think the denominator matters a lot because if I compare Twitter to Facebook, I, I actually think I see dumber conversations on Facebook than on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook is also more useful for say organizing insurrections than Twitter. Like the, the things that I think Twitter is good for, the things that I will hope for in whatever comes after Twitter, after he's turned it into a steaming pile of ghost town. Um, like if, if I think back to 2008-ish when I'm joining, the thing that made Twitter different from Facebook was that Twitter is unidirectional follow, like follower and followee, and Facebook is bidirectional. And early on, like back when I was a graduate student, that mattered a lot because that meant that the people who I was reading, who I thought were brilliant. And like, I'm like, I'm not friends with them. I'm not going to like try to friend the author that I just read on Facebook, mm-hmm. but I can follow them on Twitter. And that allows me to have a curated feed of the other people who like, not exactly a filter bubble, but it like, it is selecting your own filters in terms of these are people who see the world the way I see it and are thinking interesting thoughts, not interesting conversations. I want to follow the stuff, not only that they're writing, but also that they're posting and talking about. And so early in my career, I'm allowed to do that. And that makes Twitter really valuable. Um, the fact that it's unidirectional so that I don't need to have a relationship with you to, to engage with your stuff. And then later in my career, once I'm writing more things, like if Twitter goes away, like I'm really enjoying writing for Substack. I'm writing a thing once a week. It's a free Substack. Like there, there's no, like, I'm not like part of the Substacking elite that's making money off that stuff. I just like got a little annoyed that I wasn't writing enough. So I was like, I'm just going to do that. I'm going to make myself write once a week. It'll be fun. And if you take Twitter out of the equation, then I'm writing for Substack. It gets emailed to people who have already decided to follow me. And that's it. Like there's no other Mm -hmm. way to spread my stuff. Um, So Twitter ends up being very useful for writing the long form thing and then being the place where you can share it. so I would I would like a thing that does those that that does those two things well, and I would like a thing that has good enough content management uh, and like a, a few other affordances that add friction for like the hate brigades and for like the the contextless misinformation and the all the other like worst stuff. But like I've seen proposals for like keep Twitter as it is, but get rid of quote retweets because quote retweets are for dunking. I do mm-hmm. all the time. I enjoy it. It's not me at my best self. Like you take out the quote retweet, um, you add in content moderation staff with a with a senior leadership that has a backbone, so that when you point out, hey, look, this person is a harassing Nazi, the content moderators who say, hey, you're right, have bosses who say, yep, that's right, you can go with it. Um, like the, that problem could have gotten solved if Jack Dorsey had had sort of stronger values than he had as a non-libertarian. Um, so like you can fix that with like well-staffed content moderation. Um, and you need to not expect to make too much money since advertising isn't like, I think advertising now that we're in a tech crash, I think digital ads are probably going to take a hit because there's actually fewer companies trying to advertise and they're noticing like, Hey, there isn't as much money in this as we thought. Um, that's, that's one of the aftershocks that happened after the 2000 crashes, like all the big tech magazines that were rolling in ads either shrank or shut down. Um, so like you want to not expect to make too much money doing that, but a system that does those three things is I think on net good, particularly for comparing them to like, like Facebook, like, sure, I guess I could post my sub stacks on Facebook and then like my cousin in law three times removed (laughs) and argue with like a senior academic in my subfield because they're both seeing it 
and like we have a context collapse where they both think they should be talking with me on my page. Like the the structure of Facebook isn't, I think is actually like much worse than the structure of Twitter for having interesting conversations. Not to say that Twitter comes anywhere to, near living up it's like up to this billing of like the public square. Like it's it's not. But if if we were required to pick one social media space and say that's the public square, like Twitter is probably the least bad option that we have. Oh, that's interesting because I've said this directly on Twitter that mm-hmm. Facebook is the is the public square. People, yo, know, I mean, normal people are generally not on Twitter. Normal people are on Facebook. Um, like normal people do want to see photos of their cousins, babies, and stuff like that. They don't generally want to debate politics <laughs> in their spare time, and yeah, I, I have a theory that like Twitter's active user base in America is like fewer than like three million people. Um, so and- I think you're right. But I think you're describing Facebook from seven years ago. Like Facebook seven years ago was I can see like my old high school friends like kid photos. I, I still like Facebook for that. Like Facebook as a self-updating Rolodex, awesome. Facebook as it became after it went public and realized that it needed to feed an engagement engine in order to print money became a place where it's basically the loudest, most obnoxious person that you've ever met yelling <laughs> at people on a page. And at this point, it's like Facebook's mostly boomers at this point. Like it, it's mostly like grand. Should, I should say I've, them. I deactivated my Facebook account about two years ago and, and haven't been on since. So I, I um, yeah. so like, I, I think you're absolutely right. It, like the ideal of Facebook seven years, like, or the experience of Facebook, like seven, eight years ago, I think you're right that that's much closer to a digital, digital public square. But the Facebook that we've had for several years now, which is just becoming sort of like cranky boomerville because of just other algorithms, because that's what was driving more engagement. Like that, it, it, it turned into a much junkier experience that is, I think, definitely poorer than, than Twitter six months ago. Okay, so whenever, you know, I'm talking to someone who is not on Twitter, I mean, this happens less, but over the past couple of years, especially when Trump was using a lot, whenever I was talking to someone who was not on Twitter, they, they would say, should I get on Twitter? I would say, no, um, it's, it's, not, it's not worth it. It's not worth your time. Um, and it has all these, you know, it, it sort of like breaks your brain in various ways if you do get into it. So um, I think that <laughs> like, you know, probably if I went back and asked these people, are, are you, <laughs> what did you do? Uh, the people who did not join Twitter probably would be happier with their lives today than the people who disregarded my advice. Um, so there's that. But then, you know, I've, I'm off Facebook as well. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it sort of seems like you could have something like Twitter that, w- yeah, was not being run for profit. That was some like Wikipedia version of Twitter. Um, or it's running for profit, just lower profits. Like I think it should be for profit, just have lower expectations, so big money doesn't ruin everything. Right, and at some point, Twitter. It's, so Twitter ha- apparently has lost money eight of the past ten years, but mm-hmm. it did make some amount of money, like in twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. But it was something like re- the revenue was like one point five billion, but they only made like twenty million or something. So I, I was like. Well, first of all, how did Twitter make this much money? And second of all, what are they actually spending it on? Because the site does not work really that well. And also, who would actually pay for a Twitter ad? Like, maybe I'm more anti-ad than the average person, but mm-hmm. I've only ever been annoyed by Twitter ads or clicked on them accidentally. It seems like such a bad value proposition for a company. Mm-hmm. The fact that GM advertises on Twitter to begin with, you know, seems like a waste of money and maybe they just want they're just doing it because other big companies are too and they would feel like they're losing out and maybe the whole this you know a lot of people have been wondering whether the entire advertising model is sort of a like fail you know it was a fail system to begin with and advertisements never really worked very well and it it's just with the fact that you can track clicks now that we see that they weren't working whereas before when it was just print or tv you know if if you start an ad and sales rose by five percent you said well it's because we had this great ad and if sales did not rise. You say, well, we did have a good enough ad. So yeah, okay. Well, you mentioned like, what could we do to fix Twitter? I I actually had a sub two eighty character solution for this, um, mm-hmm. and one of my suggestions was banning quote tweets. Um, mm-hmm. Another one was you can't reply to someone unless you followed them for some length of time. I said seventy two hours, and so that would you know reduce just random people replying to each other and starting fights. Um, mm-hmm. And then the third one was um, 
charge five cents per tweet. Now, that was somewhat tongue in cheek, uh -uh. but I think that is the real way to, to, to have this be like a company that stays in the black, but also like is not insane. So that would solve the spam problem because spammers are not. So you, let's say you get 10 or 20 free tweets per day or something like that. Okay. But if you're charging per tweet, mm -hmm. then I'm not going to like, I'm just thinking about like my, my incentives and why I waste so much time on here. I'm not going to like tell a stranger eat shit if it costs me five cents. And I assume there's going to be fewer people who want to tell me to eat shit um, or set or send me an image of a swastika or something. If it costs them five cents, what, what do you think of this? Like modest, modest proposal. So I just today, let, let, let me pull up the crankiest thing that I wrote today, since I am quite proud of it. Um, this was in response to Elon Musk whining about how he says that um, the reason why advertiser advertisers are leaving Twitter is because of like activists are scaring them away. And this is <laughs> right. He's like basically trying to say like, oh, no, I and Twitter and me are being can cancel cultured, which like. Yeah, he's blaming the woke mob for the fact that GM is like suspending uh, ads on Twitter. Yeah. So I replied to that and said, um, do you worry that everyone is going to realize that you're a fucking idiot who set 44 billion on fire? You should probably worry more that everyone is going to realize that you're a fucking idiot who said $44 billion on fire. Okay. So you would pay five cents. Will... That was worth five cents to you to, to tweet that. What I would say is amongst all the things that I tweet, I'm probably more likely to spend five cents for the psychic gratification of a real burn to somebody who's annoying me than for my like offering up insights on um, like one of the things that I, I routinely tweet because I'm I'm for the second time rereading the entire back catalog of Wired Magazine for work. And so occasionally I'll like find a thing in Wired Magazine from 1994 that I think is like funny or interesting. Like the product reviews from 1994, <laughs> I find like I, I get a little bit out of like seeing those and being like, wow, I want to show this to somebody. Um, I wouldn't spend five cents to share with people like my Wired archive tweets because I think six other people care about that. And I just kind of enjoy sharing it. Mm -hmm. But like the the psychic joy of delivering a solid burn, like, yeah, that's worth five cents. Like maybe that makes me a bad person, but there's a lot of bad people out there. And I think the like like sharing random, pretty earnest observations because you feel like sharing them, that's something which if you are if you're adding the friction of charging me, I'm probably not going to share those. But then like like yelling you're a dick to somebody who I think is a dick. Like, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, like absolutely I'm going to spend five cents on that because like that feels good to me. Okay, and I should say that I replied to Elon's tweet where he said Twitter has had a massive drop in revenue. I replied, you took a massive drop in the toilet, you dummy. No, I would yeah. not have paid five cents to tweet that. that? Uh, okay. I don't think well, I would have. No, I will say that one of the perversely good things about Twitter is it's one of the places where you could actually say – fuck you to a famous or rich person, which is yeah. not something that the average person could do before the internet because, you know, you wouldn't like see them in real life. Yeah. Um, and you could write them like a letter that said, fuck you, but that would take a lot of time. And, um, you know, you have to like buy a stamp and go to the mailbox and stuff. But is this good? Okay. I participate in the absurd discourse of <laughs> discourse, quote unquote, the absurd mm -hmm. antics that happen on Twitter. I, this is not cultivating the like best part of my, you know, inner character. Like, th like this is making me like lash out and act like a troll. Like the the site encourages people to <laughs> act in generally antisocial ways. If we're saying fuck you to Elon Musk, that feels good. If we're saying fuck mm -hmm. you to a stranger, you know, it just would have been better if I had never gained knowledge of this stranger's existence and you know, that, that was like a better reality. <laughs> um, and it just makes people mad all the time. And one thing that Twitter revealed to me is that, you know, I used to think if, if you were mad, um, mm -hmm. it would feel better to get less mad, but there's a mm -hmm. lot of people who like being mad and they like staying mad and Twitter incentivizes, like, that's how it gets people hooked is because they, they get mad. And that's like, you know, that's not good for people's mental health. And the fact that it's monetized, it like adds this sick aspect to it. So that, how does that strike you? The thing I want to push you on is in a world without Twitter, like, like I think you're using Twitter there as a stand-in for all social media. Like if Twitter goes away, then we what most people are doing is looking at Instagram or TikTok instead. Um, now, part of what I really like about Twitter, another thing that I would want on a Twitter replacement, 
is I, I really need text rather than video because like I have two small kids who um, at the end of a like long day or on a Saturday, like they will want to watch Daniel Tiger or Pink Bong. And <laughs> if, if they're watching a baby shark cartoon, I am going to sit there with them. I can't like put headphones in and watch a TikTok. Like mm-hmm. that I'm not going to do, but I'm definitely going to divert a little bit of my attention to look at Twitter. And like, yeah, I'm probably a little meaner on Twitter that day because like, my God, Baby Shark um, or Coco Melon. <laughs> my God, Coco Melon. Like, like that's probably going to make me a little be- uh, meaner, not because Twitter, but because Coco Melon. Uh-huh. Um, but like the ability to read text and occasionally use that to open up an article that like that somebody posted or somebody's discussing, like, I think that's good. But also I, what I'd say is the bad stuff you're talking about is all also true on Instagram. It's all also true on TikTok. Those are, I think, even more monetized since they're also paying creators. So there's there's an incentive to like actively lash out and build a mob on those other sites because it'll get you rich in a way that, again, like Twitter fame isn't directly good for anything. Like if people are doing Substack for money, then they can they're going to do Twitter antics in order to drive out yeah that's a lot of substack monetization seems to be based around saying provocative things on twitter and and stirring shit up and and sort of substack ring is real is 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 real like i've seen it happen there is a a specific liberal writer whose podcast i liked a lot and then he went to substack and i like him less Mm -hmm. because like he's responding to his incentives um so like like that's all real and twitter fits into that but if twitter disappears and instead uh, the substackers are trying to make a go of it on uh, TikTok. And, um, <laughs> you know, I've heard that Glenn Greenwald is actually a really good dancer. And I was not talking about Glenn Greenwald. He's a- <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I see what you mean. And t- I, I've never downloaded TikTok. It sort of scares me in its addictive mm-hmm. qualities. I feel yeah. like it's for kids um, and kids doing little skits. And, but obviously lots of older people are using it as well. So I can't say anything about that. I mean, Instagram, it seems, Instagram has its own toxic aspects and some of those are related more to like body image or feeling like you're um, there's like a lot people are having an enjoyable life out there that you don't have access to. So those are, those are bad. The, the specific toxicities of Twitter, I don't know exactly what they probably go more to Facebook than to Instagram because I don't know if people are really like on Instagram, like getting into deep arguments in the comments um, I don't, I, maybe that's happening. I'm sure it's happening in some places. Um, it's easier, yeah, it's I'm, easier to have a positive experience, I think on Instagram than on Twitter, where even like normal interactions end up trending extremely negative. So I, I'm not really on Instagram, so I'm not sure, but I, I'm pretty sure that was more true of Instagram like five years ago than now. Like, I think Instagram now, again, because both because of the monetization and because of the ways they've tried to goose engagement by, uh, by kind of becoming a mini TikTok. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if, like, the two of us as an experiment said, like, let's both spend a week just on Twitter and then a week just on Instagram and then a week just on TikTok, mm-hmm. I, and, like, A, we would both come back mortified. <laughs> but I, I think if we then forced ourselves to rank them, I think we would end up thinking higher of Twitter. I think we would come back and be like, oh, if, if Twitter is awful for the psyche, like, the, the other options out there that would replace it are kind of gaping maws of, of terror as well. Okay, but in some way, this is damning with fate praise. Like, would you like yeah. to eat one pile of shit or drink a jar of piss sort of thing? Like, like these seem to like, all be negative. <laughs> look, it's, it's 2022, and as a political scientist, let me know, like, we, we might be, like, losing American democracy effectively in five days. Like, the world, like, it's the 20, like, this is a bad decade we're entering in. Like, every year of the 2020s has been bad in some way. Yes. So, like, yeah, there's, there's not an option that isn't terrible. Look, like, we live in this. Okay, dystopia. so we should be thankful for our jar of piss that at least it's, you know, we're getting hydrated from. I mean, I, like, at least we should be like, well, like, there wasn't an option for healthy food here. So, while I don't want to say, like, yay, jars of piss, I do want to say, like, let's not pretend that if we don't drink the jar of piss that we actually get to have, like, a normal beer. <laughs> Normal beers, that's like a like Obama era thing. That's that is in the past now, my friend. We're so far away from normal. okay. Well, tell okay. So I've had a sort of um fantasy vision of Twitter like being run into the run into the ground that's so toxic that everyone normal 
um, including myself, <laughs> perhaps not legitimately in the category of normal lead. So mm-hmm. it sort of becomes a 4chan or something. And mm-hmm. then it's sort of like the last scene in um, The Truman Show where yeah. the show ends and people suddenly like look outside the window and realize, oh, like I could be doing something else else with my life. Um, Wait, okay. The way you're talking makes it seem like people would just be drawn to TikTok or some new thing that has its own set, set of issues. So here, and like one of us is right, the other is wrong here. Because I was also thinking Truman Show, but I remember the end of it differently. I thought at the end of the Truman Show, people pause for a second and then say, what else is on? I, okay, you're right. I think that is the final line, what else is on? And like, that's like, cause like, that's the different, like, if you're right that Twitter falling apart would lead us all to like go touch grass and read some books, then that seems like probably a net benefit for society. But my hunch is that if Twitter falls apart, and again, like I, I, unfortunately I think it will, like I like it more than the other sites. It fits pretty well into my routines. And while my routines aren't great, like they could certainly be worse. Um, Like I, I don't think he's going to pull this thing out and salvage it. Um. And my worry is that at the end of that, when people say, okay, what else is on? I My worry is that what comes next is worse. Certainly that's been the pattern over the past couple of years is that, you know, you think it can't get worse and, and then it does. Um, okay, we've talked a lot about Twitter and maybe more than we should have, but I did want to at least briefly bring up uh, that other famous website that we mentioned before, although I think we've mostly been calling it Facebook is actually the company is called Meta and you've been writing about Meta and the metaverse and, and Zuckerberg. And um, yeah, he seems to be having his own um, troubles um, and they're plowing all this money into the virtual reality concept. And actually Farhad Banjir just published a piece today where he used the top of the line Oculus, whatever was trying the metaverse. And he was like, where did they, there's no evidence that they spent $10 billion on this. Like it's, it's not, it's almost nothing. There's no one here. It's suppressing. <laughs> like what, what were they thinking? Uh, yeah. what, do, what do you think is happening with, with Meta slash Facebook? So look, the first thing that I want to make clear is it is very, very funny that like, if we go back three years ago, I would have very confidently told you that Facebook is a monopoly that will like basically the sun will basically never set on like not never, <laughs> but like, like they have so much market power and they have been allowed to acquire so many competitors that they're just going to dominate and keep dominating. The idea that what is going to bring them down is Mark Zuckerberg believing a fantasy that everyone really wants to live in virtual reality slash augmented reality and that he's just going to like, he's going to spend all of the money to build and dominate that next space and just being, just being wrong about it. Like, that's funny. Like he spent ten billion dollars last year, and the announcement after a year of that was legs are coming soon to the metaverse. Yes. Um, and the so I, I did I wrote a piece God last summer summer twenty twenty one that I wrote just before he made the announcement that they were shifting to to Meta and shifting to the metaverse. So I wrote this piece basically snarking at VR, calling it the. Uh, the rich white kid of technology. Um, and again, this this comes out of the this big history project I've been doing, studying the history of the digital future, because I, I was reading about the old wave of VR technologies in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, and then that's in like early Wired Magazine. And then in late Wired Rep Magazine, I was reading about Oculus and how once again, they were saying, this is going to change everything in the next five years. Uh, and they were saying that in like 2014, 2016. So in 2021, I looked and I was like, yeah, they're still saying like at some point are they ever going to judge this technology on its results instead of its potential? Mm-hmm. And in particular, if after the pandemic, when everyone was literally shut inside, if VR games still aren't more popular than other games, maybe that just means that VR gaming is like very niche and most people aren't all that into it. Like maybe maybe it's just not going to happen, guys, because people don't want it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote that piece, and just after I wrote that, he was like, "Yeah, we're going to spend like ten billion dollars building this thing." And it was a real gut check of like, I'm going to look very stupid when I made a prediction of this will never happen. And then he was like, I'm going to spend all my money proving carp wrong. Um, <laughs> but like now it's a year later. It's like, no, you spent all your money and nobody likes this thing. And he's going to spend 15, he's planning to spend $15 billion next year. Like, I think the technology, the technology is going to get smoother and smoother. And like 50 years from now, my guess is some of that will have broken through. 
particularly because you know it, unless we are a like a mad max like full post-apocalyptic mode like the place we'll be in as a as a world 50 years from now is we're going to be traveling a lot like we're going to have far fewer plane flights so like i think telepresence meanings like with vr or ar if you spend 50 years building that then yes yeah, someday that may end up being more useful as we adjust to uh climate destabilization so you're saying but, we're going to have a lot fewer plane flights because the price of gas is going to go up so much or because yeah, governments I, are going to limit? I mean, like, I, I'm not sure, sure what the mechanisms will be. This is 50 years out. Mm-hmm. But 50 years out, we will not be able – like, you just can't be burning nearly the fuels that we are now. Mm-hmm. Like, pretty hard to put planes in the air. At least right now, it's pretty hard to put planes in the air without burning just a ton of gas. So, yeah, my guess is that if we're looking decades and decades into the future – my hunch is that some of the changes that we'll see to society, like when I'm a great grandparent, basically, <laughs> those are changes that I imagine might fit with VR. So there might be use cases that exist two generations from now. Mm-hmm. Um, but like in the next five, 10 years, like Mark Zuckerberg is going to melt his entire empire down, chasing a dream that nobody wants. And that's like, it, given that the place that we were in in like 2015 or so was hailing all of these technologists as like world historic geniuses who just are like like brilliant omniscient have it all figured out like seeing that myth punctured so publicly as we watch these same human beings both elon musk and mark zuckerberg be like uh i'm a genius everyone's gonna go with me right and then everyone <laughs> like no nah, man that, that that sucks and then a year later us being like no it still sucks stop doing that like that is at least like if we're going to live in a dystopia, we should find fun, we should find humor where we can. Like, yeah, it's the humor, the hubris of these guys, and it's also sort of like I mean, I was thinking about this, you know, the two uh, tech people who have put themselves as personas or personalities out there the most are the people we've been talking about, Musk and Zuckerberg, and if we, they both seem very obviously like psychically damaged man children who act. In ways, I mean, Zuckerberg less so than Musk, who asks, who acts like you know a petulant teenager. Um, but you know, the things that Zuck, like Zuckerberg seems to want things that like a child would want or something, and is a str- also a very, extremely strange person. I don't know. It like if you compare them to like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates or something, you know, who were tech titans of their day, made a shit ton of money. But I don't know. I mean, they're obviously like nerds, but they seem more like adults or something um, than than these clowns who have like lucked into all this into these jackpots. Now, I don't know. There's something there's definitely like a like they're getting worse um, <laughs> rather than getting better. So for me, this again goes back to this big money ruins everything theme that like I think a version of Mark Zuckerberg who's worth like $20 million. Like, I think I probably end up finding at least kind of charming because he's like <laughs> this weird, like this, like weird, very techie guy. Like, you know, like sure. He like, he, he's not like the average dude, but I, I like non-average dudes personally. Um, and he's like got strange views of the world. Some of which work and some of which don't like, I don't like it if he is being treated as a Roman empire and has the wealth as a Roman emperor and has the wealth and power that we kind of have to take him seriously that way. Like that's too much power for that particular person. Mm-hmm. If he's like just a millionaire because he built a company that worked really well, like cool. Like I, I like I think I'm probably fine with him. Um, and like Musk, like I, I don't like the part of what I find interesting with him is if we go back a decade ago. Um, the like persona that he had built, the myth-making he had done. I think there's a strong argument 10 years ago that he is his generation, Steve Jobs. Because Steve Jobs, I mean, like Elon Musk likes to pretend that he's a real engineer, like he's a rocket scientist. Like he's he's not, he's an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Jobs is also like not much of a coder. Steve Jobs is, or, or was a product visionary and a really obnoxious boss who could often see a couple steps ahead. Um, and inspired as much as he graded on people. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, to his credit, like he he bent the arc of history. Like he, he did it a couple of times. Um, while there's also a bunch of critiques out there, including you didn't build it, you got people to build it. Um, 
and like part of what's always stood out to her for the past year or so stood out to me about musk is rather than being his generation steve jobs like musk has insisted on being treated both as jobs and wozniak like he really <laughs> like forces people to pretend as though he's the guy building the tunnels and the rockets and the cars and now the social media site and like instead of being an entrepreneurial visionary and like just doing the one thing he keeps on insisting that we treat him as though he's like just a singular genius of all history and like that's where the comeuppance is coming from and again yes. like if you only had 50 million dollars i wouldn't have to care about him but when he has 200 <laughs> billion then all of a sudden all of this stuff matters yes and there's something you know i i don't care about these people individually there's there's something about like a tragic human dimension that whatever you have is not enough. And mm -hmm. so even being the richest person on earth, he still wants more. And there's, mm -hmm. there's a similar, to, I mean, they, there's a similarities to Trump here of never being satisfied and constantly wanting more and more and more and not seeming like a happy person. Um, Trump seems more miserable than, than Musk, but um, yeah, it's like, you know, I'm sure there's, you know, there's a lot of people, not a lot. There's plenty of, people who are, you know, comfortably wealthy and are not grasping always for more. But both of these, you know, uh, Zuckerberg couldn't ridden Facebook and the fact that he like helped destroy um, print media and took over their advertising revenue, like could, could have ridden that into retirement, but felt like, mm -hmm. yeah, his, his hubris, his, his ego, something meant that he had to like conquer new worlds and and musk is like a sociopath who needs attention constantly and yeah even being the you know there's some like uh buddhist lesson here or something like even have ha having everything you still crave more and in, in both these cases it seems like they're getting some sort of greek tragic downfall but they they become so powerful that they're like dragging other things along with them okay. and of course like you know um musk terminated 3,500 jobs and those people now have to like find a new way to pay the rent and so forth. So um, yeah, it's, it's bad. <laughs> it's it's yeah. bad overall. The, the comparison that comes to mind here or for me is like off the top of my head, I don't know what Sergey Brin and Larry Page have been up to. Yes. I've thought about that too. Right. Like they, they've also got all of the money and it's not that they're not hatching new scheme. Like, you know, like they turned like Google turned into alphabet it has launched a bunch of different things, some of which I probably like and some of which probably would worry me a ton. But in general, the the need to continue conquering the next realm and being hailed as like the generational genius at least seems absent enough from them that they're like not insisting on being in our faces all the time. Like, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen a Sergey, Sergey Brin tweet, right? Like he doesn't- I don't, could, do I that. couldn't pick either of them out of a lineup. They, they did not- feel yeah. like they needed to impose their personalities on society in the way that Musk and Zuckerberg and Jack, to some extent, Jack Dorsey did. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and there's been a joke that, you know, MySpace, Tom, the guy who created MySpace, oh. sold sold to, was it? Murdoch, uh, yeah. Yeah, sold to Murdoch and cashed out and then like got really into hang gliding or, or something like that. And we've not heard much from him recently. So he's like living on... You know, he seems to be happily, like, enjoying his wealth and yet not trying to bend the course of history or whatever. And, of course, like, he, you know, got out on top um, and, and MySpace is, you know, essentially, became essentially worthless very quickly thereafter. Um, so, you know, taking Robert Murdoch's money <laughs> and using it to hang glide around the world or whatever, that's, that's good. Um, but, yeah, some of these personality types, they just can't. You know they can't like accept what they what they have even when it's almost everything. Yeah, and it's really and again for me like there are plenty of personality types that annoy me, and it's not a problem so long as they aren't also billionaires trying to conquer the world. Mm -hmm. Like Elon could be exactly the person he is, and if you like if, if again if he had twenty million dollars and his thing was trying to build space rockets to go to Mars, like. That's not my jam, but I, I wouldn't care about it. Like, okay, sure. Like somebody gets to have that vision. And if you're pursuing that, then like, good for you, man. Like that's like, I'm fine with that type of capitalism. 
when you have $200 billion and you've decided that the entire world needs to clap for you at all times while you build rockets to Mars, then I get deeply concerned about the way you're bending society. Like, Sergey Brin is super rich. Like, maybe he's an awful dude. I have no idea. But the fact that I don't have any idea is kind of nice because it means that he's not forcing me to think about him all the time, at least. Yes. And in the attention economy, that is <laughs> that is um, something. No, I actually just Googled what he looks like today. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't have uh, pictured him in my mind at all, even though the, the Google founders have changed um, changed modern life more than more than Facebook and and Musk's uh, efforts have, I think. Um, OK, we've gone. We've gone longer than I thought we would. Um, but is there anything else you want to add before we before we wrap up? Um, no, let, let's talk like eight months from now about whatever has happened with AI. Because right now okay. it looks like AI is conquering the world. And eight months from now, either AI will have conquered the world or there's going to be some smart insights about what limitations it ran into. <laughs> well, okay, like, this is, yeah, I saw you had a post where you were skeptical of Web3, AI, and... Was crypto the other thing you were skeptical of, or? Well, so Web3 is crypto. It's, it's Web3, okay. AI, and Metaverse. Are, Metaverse, okay. So in 2021, those are the three big visions of the tech future. And the thing that I'm real cranky about is all three of those assume that somebody else will solve the climate crisis. Like, none of those are actually a solution to, like, the world historic challenge. Facing <laughs> and some exacerbate the uh... yeah, so, like, some, crypto yeah, in like, particular. My, my, yeah, and my, my joke with AI as well is, like, like Dali 2 is pretty cool, the image generator, but it is kind of like what we are hearing from the uh, like the UN Secretary General is like, we have a whole of society problem right now to respond to climate change. And the response is like, well, we burned down a rainforest to teach a neural net to draw a duck. Does that help? <laughs> uh -huh. um, but yeah, so and like I also like in general while there's new things happening with AI, whereas both Metaverse and Web3 are like kind of already crapping out, um, my guess is pretty quickly we're going to run into the stark limitations of that. Um, so like, there's nothing to say about that today, but like, I can definitely talk to you for 45 minutes about that, like mid-2023. Um, <laughs> okay, that's interesting. It does, yeah. I mean, of the three, it does seem from the get-go like a more promising thing. But yeah, what what is it actually good for and whereas yeah like crypto seems like it's only good to like commit crimes or, or scam various people um it, it's it's mostly good for speculation and now the right. speculation away. yeah yeah um okay well you continue to be on twitter do you have you thought about leaving or are you writing it i i mean again like this, it, until there is another thing that allows me to do unidirectional following share my work with with a national global audience and is easy to scroll through while my kids are watching daniel tiger <laughs> like, like that's the use case the, those are the use cases i'm fitting into nothing else is better so i'm there even as it's a train wreck okay i, I did a I did a poll among mm -hmm. my small twitter you know fandom and saying are, are you gonna leave stay or unsure and mm -hmm. leave was five percent stay was 45 unsure 50. um mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people are <laughs> going to see what happens. And, and yeah, but it's it's possible that the site may just stop functioning literally in the way that it, it used to, like go offline for hours at a time. And yeah. and then I guess we'll have the choice of whether we check Instagram, TikTok, or Facebook, or, you know, or watch read, read a book, I'll have watch to a watch TV Coco show. Melon. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> um, if I want to be clear. If any of your listeners don't know what Coco Melon is, do not find out. It's bad for you. <laughs> don't let your kids find out about it. I'm doing you a solid here. I've heard other parents so, and young children say that it's like the most mind numbing oh <laughs> thing God, imaginable. It breaks you so quick. It breaks you. <laughs> um, okay. So the Substack is your name.substack.com and things will be linked in the show notes um to that and the ones that we discussed in particular and your twitter is also your first name last name my twitter is reacw i'm staying on there for now but i i do sort of um anticipate a moment of of freedom and then but then maybe i'll say what else is odd and i'll just start watching tv a lot more than <laughs> i've you know was doing before um which i think you know it's funny thinking back on all the like cultural critique around television and like, 
you know, David Foster Wallace's essays about television and how addictive it was. And like, boy, they didn't even, they didn't know what was coming. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, yeah. when you yell at your the people on TV, they don't like, you know, they don't react and being able to get a reaction <laughs> to someone, it turns out is uh, very appealing for, for a lot of people. Um, okay. It's always a good time to reread or read for the first time Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death. Yeah. Yeah, so there's. I think that they were prescient, but it was just they didn't realize that TV was the <laughs> wasn't the medium that was going to come along to yeah. that would like capture attention in this obsessed way. Um, Good news, it gets worse. <laughs> yeah, it's only getting worse. Okay, on that optimistic note, thank you, Dave, for coming on. Thanks to the listeners. You know, they can rate, they can review, tell a friend, other such things, or they can just go for a walk, touch grass, um, spend time with a loved one, whatever. Um, okay. And we'll see you again next time. Thanks. This is fun.